0: we've you know quadrupled quintupled the company by you know in this one year so a lot of growth and you know on the program level which is what drives all the complexity we've gone from we've probably gone eightfold in the number of programs that we've we've stood up so everything was about culture everything was about how do we communicate super clearly what we're doing so that we can push decision making autonomy and accountability out to the edge
1: Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we talk to the entrepreneurs shaping the future of health and discuss the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm Logan Plaster. Today's episode is a conversation with Murray Brzezinski, CEO of Conversa Health. Before COVID struck, Conversa was working with big health systems, supplying them with a type of chatbot that kept patients and doctors connected between appointments. It turns out a few well-worded and well-timed questions, even if they're automated, can improve care quite a bit and reduce costly bounce backs. When COVID hit, Murray and his team knew they had the technology and the institutional relationships to really make a difference. So they quickly scaled up multiple COVID-specific products using automated chat and have seen massive growth in 2020 as a result. This conversation with Murray was pulled from a recent Expert Office Hour, which was attended virtually by an audience of founders from the Startup Health portfolio. We dig into how Conversa was able to stay nimble and grow in spite of uncertainty, and our founders weigh in with their thoughts as well. Hope you enjoy. So I, I want to get into what you've built, how it's changed. Um, one thing I find interesting about Conversa is that just by going onto your homepage, uh, you can immediately tell how much you've responded to this moment. That like you are marketing on your homepage uh, a product that is as COVID-specific. That you've really rolled something new out, and it just highlights kind of how flexible and nimble you've you've had to be. So why don't you start by giving us a briefing of Conversa's sort of pre- and post-COVID uh, product?
0: Sure. So, you know, pre-COVID, we were developing programs to help health systems, predominantly health systems, care for patients in an automated way. So chronic care patients, um, patients that are preparing for procedures or surgeries, for patients recovering after surgeries or procedures, um, patients dealing with acute events. And we always had an eye on expanding for all the needs around health systems population. So plan to go into pediatrics and pregnancy and cancer and lots of other areas. So our our vision was always to have a set of automated programs that can engage patients, collect valuable patient-generated health data, and make decisions as to how you keep patients on an automated pathway and when do you need to triage them to that next level of care. So that's, and I would say the vision was a little bit narrower before than certainly after where we even talk about ourselves now as a um, automated virtual care platform. And it's really that broad, whereas before it was a little bit more focused on conversational AI, um, you know, a, a, a smart chatbot, but now we really have expanded the the vision of what it could be. So that's that's our current engagement model, but it's really tied to a pretty sophisticated analytics platform that makes these decisions about what's the right next step for a patient. And then when COVID hit, it was like everything went dark. It was sort of like we you know, it got some advice from the investment community and our own investors that said, don't move into COVID. You don't know what it is, you don't know how long it'll last. You don't know if anybody will pay for any products to support it. And really what you should do is cut a third of the workforce and hunker down for this kind of nuclear winter until we know what's going on. And, and that, that was actually pretty common advice if you looked at the Sequoia letter that went out. And you know, in other industries, I don't know that that's necessarily the wrong advice because you have to worry about survival of the company, but we're in healthcare, we couldn't see, but we sort of said we have a North Star and our North Star is to help health systems and frontline workers care for patients, their care and their health and we saw that capacity was immediately the biggest initial problem and we said we're in virtual care we should be able to expand virtual capacity so given all that we sort of said we have a responsibility to do it we'll figure out the the you know how to support it as a, a you know a, a financial endeavor later and we did we just kind of pivoted the company and said we're going to develop products that our health systems customers need so we went to them and said what what do you need specifically for covid and we heard three things one was We actually need to get all of our vulnerable populations on these virtual systems because they need help, but we can't have them come in and risk getting COVID. So our current programs, we actually stood them up more quickly to get lung transplant patients. For example, at UCSF, all the living lung transplant patients in San Francisco that are UCSF patients are on a lung transplant program that we developed with UCSF. So they can do the spirometer readings remotely and all of their patient reported outcomes remotely and don't have to risk, if, you're, if you've got a lung transplant, coming into the clinic or coming into the hospital during COVID is, is a dangerous proposition. So that's one example. Go ahead,
1: go ahead. Can you qu- can you quickly just outline what that program looks like? So just for anyone unfamiliar with using the Conversa platform, the kind of check-in that they're getting?
0: Yeah, and that particular program, as with most of our programs, it's a virtual health assistant that's reaching out on a frequency, and it's typically tied into your health record. So it knows who you are personally, it reaches out and it's asking questions during your journey. So with your condition, whether it's diabetes or lung transplant or heart failure, what questions do we need to get answered on day three of a discharge from the hospital? Or at this point in time and you're managing your chronic illness, What information do we need that we can ask you? What information do we need that we can collect from a device? In this case, a spirometer. And then it takes that feedback and in real time, it it basically analyzes it and says, are you on track? And if you're on track, it provides personalized motivation for you to continue and tell you what the next step should be. If you're off track, it's basically designed to have uh, behavioral science embedded in the software that nudges you back on track. And then if you breach a threshold that the system dis- determines you need to be connected synchronously to a, you know, a real care uh, giver, a doctor, a nurse, or a case manager, then it does the the smart triage to that person. So it could be a telehealth visit, an in-person visit, a phone call, whatever. whatever.
1: Got it. Got it. So, so you went out there and you asked, you said, okay, we, we have a role to play here. What are the needs? You hear these primary needs from your healthcare partners, uh, and then you get to work creating products that, fit their specific need. Well, like not everyone can, um, kind of put things on hold or kind of, um, start to develop products in the middle of a, a crisis. So what was, what was it about what you had built up to that point that sort of allowed you to do that?
0: Yeah. So the, the, the example I gave of long transplant was those were programs That we would have had prior to COVID, of course, but we just accelerated development and got people up and running more quickly. The other were developing COVID-specific programs. So how do we screen people for COVID? How do we put people into quarantine so they can do self-management? How do we automate the delivery of lab results, um, mental health specifically related to COVID? So in our world, we have a platform that's designed for these automated delivery of these automated programs. And then the creation of the program itself, we have a whole library that we can pull off the shelf, like heart failure, diabetes, that we quickly configure to the way that a a particular hospital system delivers care. But in order to do that, we developed a very flexible authoring tool. We have a team of clinicians, we have a team of content developers, and they can modify or configure programs, but they're also set up to develop programs from scratch as well. So we can take guidelines and best practices and pathways from our customers and put all that together and created in the format that we deliver, which is this ongoing, uh, very frequent conversational check-in with patients. Okay. Part of it was we built a flexible platform that was designed to create these quickly. COVID forced us to create it much more quickly and to be able to stand them up in you know a matter of weeks versus a matter of months.
1: What were some of the challenges uh, that you faced trying to be that nimble, trying to create new products in April when some people were kind of going dark?
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple of the challenges were you can't build a scalable business if everything's custom. So how how do we balance a need that somebody had with whether or not there was going to be demand for that program from others? So the way I always think about it is, I mean, really at a high level, what we do is we, if you could magically you know, wave a magic wand and everybody be on evidence-based uh, care path tomorrow, you could probably cut out a third of healthcare costs and everybody would be healthier. And um, the problem is, you know, at the point of care, not everybody has access to everything that's evidence-based and how do you get people to follow this protocol? So you're trying to reduce the variability of care by getting everyone on these evidence-based pathways, but you're trying to increase the variability of engagement, which is personalization. And those things are intention. So I think that's what we've done you know pretty well we've figured out kind of um, how to do that and but in order to do that you're presenting to the hospital system something that they view as custom it's you're developing this for me but we have to do it in a way that in reality it's configurable on the back end so for us the standard product that has configurable components it takes a while to figure out what those what those are got it got it what do you feel
1: like are some of the lessons you've learned? I mean, that that was sort of the framework necessary in, in order for this to happen. Now you've walked through the process. You have rolled out how many different sort of COVID-related service lines? Four or five have I seen?
0: For COVID specifically, we've got now uh, six or seven.
1: Six or seven. Okay. So uh, so now you've actually walked through the process. You've rolled them out. You've marketed them. Um just what are some of those lessons learned uh, coming out? I wouldn't say you're on the other side of it, but it, it, it's being marketed. It's being sold. It's being used.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So they've been super helpful as a high demand. The biggest issue is as a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you're running a business, you think about what's the longevity of those programs. You can't build a business around COVID. And then like the rest of the world, we all hope COVID goes away. and the vaccines out there. Then what? So We've been putting a lot of... Th- so initially, again, with our North Star, we just said, this is what everybody needs today. So we're just doing it. We're not even going to think about how we make money or what the bridge to the future is. We're to do it because it's the right thing to do. So we did. We hired people. We built, you know, so we did big risk actually. But then we tried to rationalize and figure out how is this sustainable? So we're even helping in the back to work, back to school effort. So we have COVID programs to help people go back to work, back to school since that number, you saw 100,000 screens a day, we're probably doing, we're doing more than 100,000 screens a day for one customer now. So we're doing probably well over a million screens a day. And we, um, but we looked at it and said, okay, what is COVID, right? So COVID is an infectious disease, back to work, back to school is really employee wellness and health. So we've now partnered with our health systems and we said, we're gonna help you bring this out to your community. So we work with our health systems to bring the COVID programs to, employers and universities in their communities and it's the first step in a new way of delivering employee health and wellness. The interesting mm-hmm. thing about covid is every employee for example has to take a screen every single day or every healthcare worker every single day. So you're being habituated into this is kind of a ritual before you go to work in the morning. What else can you add to that? Well, mental health is a natural and so we're starting to think about how do you bridge this into a new way of interesting people around their health and wellness.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, you, you mentioned UCSF a couple of times. Uh, I, we know you have a, a partnership with them. You've been doing a lot of work with them. You said 100,000. You're probably referring to them, right? Where you're doing 100K screens at a single facility, right?
0: It's not them, actually. They're not oh, there. it's
1: somebody else. Okay. So the numbers are even higher. So later this month, I think it's next week, actually, we will be talking to Michael Blum, uh, Dr. Michael Blum, as Sarah mentioned. Uh, so during this process, you not only rolled out these new products, but you also cemented some, some big hospital system-wide uh, partnerships, new rollouts. Uh, talk to us a bit about how you walk through that You know, in an all-virtual world, some of the challenges and some of your strategies for sealing the deal uh, in the midst of COVID.
0: Yeah, again, you, you mentioned this UCSF Digital Health Award that we won for, for Best Remote Diagnostics Company. When I accepted the reward, I talked about the fact that they set it up like the Academy Awards. So I accepted it as if we were the best supporting actor, and at that time we think of ourselves. So we went to our health systems, like UCSF, we had just started working with before COVID, and we said to them, "What what do we need? What do you need for COVID?" So we, it's very easy. Nothing's very easy. It's easier to build a solution if you're building it with the people that have the problem. So with UCSF, we built the screener together. We collaborated and developed it together and they were working directly with the CDC. So those was a very robust program. In fact, it was the first developed in the country because San Francisco's health department had the first mandate to screen healthcare workers or anybody walking into a healthcare facility on March 12th, I think it was. And so we literally launched this on March 19th. It was that quick with them. Oh wow! And we did the same thing in New York. We worked with Northwell and Northwell treated more COVID patients than any hospital system in the country, because they were in New York, and um, their biggest issue was their call centers started to get overwhelmed in delivering lab results, so we automated the delivery of lab results using our program, but we did it with Northwell. So that was a collaboration done with another health system that had a very specific problem. Um, Our quarantine program was built in concert with uh, UNC Health in North Carolina it was another hotspot. So those programs were built quickly with partners who already had a trusted relationship with, and then they were put in our library and lots of systems and, and other uh, organizations now use them. But it, it, to your point, it helped further, you know, build a really, really tight relationship with our customers. Um, but the, the reason was because we went to them and said, let's build this together. And that's why built. we've built all of our products in, in concert with our customers.
1: Um, Let's shift gears slightly, although it's completely related, and just talk about um, some operational challenges. You you just talked about rolling things out so rapidly. Uh, I'm curious, kind of what about Conversa that you had already built allowed you to be nimble enough? And then sort of secondarily, what did you have to do to manage that during COVID? I mean, how did you manage such a flexible, rapid um, rollout process?
0: Yeah. First of all, I would say we weren't that nimble to begin with. We, we had to learn quickly and, and uh, you know, we started out just, you know, all in sprint, Then we realized this was a marathon. We had one of our project managers said, our product manager said we really have to make this a relay race and figure out how to work in shifts and hand things off or we're going to burn everybody out, which was a great insight. And we did that. And um, we as a company, the mind shift that we're, and we're still making it, but this forced us to go more quickly. I think we were more of, our solution was much more of a service, right? So we were, we're very good at high touch and servicing and customizing, and there's no way you can do that and serve you know, these market these customers that quickly. And you can if you're going to scale anyway, but it forced us much more quickly to move to more of a product mindset with this notion of configuration. So you as the customer getting something that you believe is customized for your needs, but we had to figure out a way to do it so we could do that with everybody. Um, And then there were some compromises that we had to make where we recommended, we said, look, you know, normally we would get in and integrate with your EMR and integrate with your CRM system and integrate with all these remote patient monitoring devices. If you want to get COVID up and, you know, in days or a week, we would recommend you don't do these integrations. And we were very good at communicating the trade-off and why you should make those decisions. And so a lot of these were stood up as standalone programs. And then we do the integrations later. The other thing we did that was pretty innovative is, we we didn't go out there and just start selling COVID products. We didn't think that was good business. What we said was, we're a small company, we can only work with existing customers. So if you become an existing customer of Conversa, you can use all of our COVID programs for free. So join the company, subscribe to our platform or our company. And that was a, a great move for us because it allowed us to say, all right, people are making, they're making a commitment, even though collectively health systems were losing $50 billion a month, right? All the way through recently. And we said, but if you make this commitment because you believe in the future of virtual care, then you can just pick the COVID programs you want and we'll get you up and running in days. That, that's mm. the way we approached it. So we, we deferred all the integrations to later, but these were customers that we knew wanted to wanted to utilize this platform in in other ways once they were past the the, the urgent need of COVID.
1: And that turned out to be a smart move. Uh, did that work for you as a strategy? It's a brilliant move, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, I, I love how you talked about it going from a sprint to a marathon to a relay race. I actually haven't heard that before, although I'm sure I'm sure it's been been used but um, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Uh, what about just like team management? just like learning how over the last six to nine months not only to roll these products out but also to um, to manage well, to uh, keep your company culture strong uh, in in these odd times.
0: Yeah, I would say that was the number one focus and the number one reason for our success. So we we hired throughout this process. We, um, you know, I realized very quickly, we grew, just to give you a sense, we grew this year on every metric. Cust- like customers, we probably quadrupled our customer base, our, our um, annual recurring revenue, which is kind of a metric that we use um, as, as kind of a software as a service business has grown about 5X. So we've, you know, quadrupled, quintupled the company by, you know, in this one year. So a lot of growth and, you know, on the program level, which is what drives all the complexity we've gone from, we've probably gone eightfold in the number of programs that we've, we've stood up. So everything was about culture. Everything was about how do we communicate super clearly what we're doing so that we can push decision-making autonomy and accountability out to the edge. And it was hard to do in a short period of time, but there's no way we could have done kind of a command and control and been involved with everything and, and and supported our customers and grown that quickly. So a lot of it was communication. I mean, and we experimented. We didn't get it right. I mean, I literally we you know, we went remote right away and I literally said, We're gonna have a stand-up every day. And so we did stand-ups every day. We moved to twice a day at one point. People were like, You're killing, it. you know, we can't do this. And now we're, you know, in a more leisurely once a week, full company stand up, and we have you know scrums, of course, you know uh, daily around the company. But a lot of it was around communication. Um, we we use Zoom, we use Slack as our kind of two core communication tools. We use Confluence and Jira and some others for more specific.
1: How much did you hire? You said yeah.
0: we, we hired. Well, it's interesting. We actually came out quickly and said. We're not going to lay anybody off, so we made a commitment. Um, there were performance issues, and you know, fits, and you know, we were working hard. So we certainly had some replacement going on, and then new. So we hired among the two, we probably probably hired twenty-ish people. Wow, over that period of time. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was a lot. And so, so getting a real rigorous onboarding process so people get up to speed quickly, improving communication. Um, we're moving this year to OKRs, you know, which are, you know, um, objectives and key results, which is kind of a management tool. We've been using it sort of informally. We're going to crystallize it. So we, we started to implement a lot more process, a lot more communication. Um, but we also said, you know, hey, here's some problems. We're not communicating well between our client operations team and our engineering team. There's too much commitment being made and and not knowing sort of how to prioritize it based on these very, very short timelines. And so we actually threw it out to the company. We would say, let's get a cross-functional team who wants to be on it. And people would just volunteer and then they would come back with recommendations. And so we we really spent a lot of time on the culture. We introduced a a food service where uh, there's a certain amount of money at a Grubhub account that people can order every month, but with a twist. We recommended that people gift it to their colleagues who are working hard. And the vast majority of every month of, of those orders is actually employees gifting it to other employees rather than using it for themselves. Um, cool. So we, it was interesting. We just went around uh, right before Thanksgiving, we did a stand-up, and we, we guest speakers, we do all sorts of creative stuff, but we dispensed with all that. And everyone went around and talked about what they were thankful for. And I got to say, I was crying. I mean, it was really heart. You know, hardening to hear uh, how people thought about the culture. We really turned the culture around, companies. Mm. So, yeah.
1: How big is your team in total?
0: We've got uh, almost forty people.
1: Forty people. Okay, a nice size. Um, a great question here from Unity. Before I ask it, um, uh, or he can, if you'd like. Uh, a reminder to everybody: this is your time to throw questions into the chat. I'll call on you. And, uh, and, and ask Murray more about uh, this, this past year, their 5X growth, uh, their they're very busy 2020. Uh, Unity asks about uh, post-COVID, what do you expect has truly transformed versus what goes back to the way it was?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I look at telehealth as a bit of a barometer. So, you know, telehealth growth went, you know, from less than 2% utilization of telehealth in terms of total visits to 60%, in some cases, 90 to hundred percent in March. And if you look in certain cases now in-person visits have come back to where it was pre COVID in in, in certain places and telehealth has actually dropped much more than people would have expected. Hmm. And so you look at it and, and although people had experience with it, it's a good, it's a good experience you know, habit forming takes a long time. And so we expected there to be regression to the mean, not knowing where the mean is. And it looks like it's lumpy, right? In certain areas, it's going to be much higher than in other areas. But, um, you know, I look at that as a barometer. So I think from our perspective, this notion of automated, you know, virtual care, we have a lot more people because of COVID experienced it. So here's an example. At UCSF, because, because all of the employees use the, the uh, COVID screens to go to work every day, they have experience with it. So when we are now introduced to a new service line at UCSF, the person that we would normally go into and explain what we do and talk about what the experience would be for their patients, they say, Oh, that's, is this the same, is this the same, uh, you know, virtual health assistant I'm using, to go to work every day? And we'd say, yeah. And so immediately they've had a personal experience with it. Got and it. that's what's really changed. A lot more people have had a lot of personal experiences and they could see how it works and helps in their care and make that connection. The example I just gave was from a provider who would need to roll it out. But, um, so I think it's a, it's a really good question. I'm kind of fumbling around the question. I think, I think there's profoundly, there's gonna be much more rapid Rollout of these kinds of remote programs. Um, what stays the same, though? Um, you know, like anything else, I don't think I don't think that automation gets rid of people and functions. I think it gets rid of activities that some of those people do. So I think there'll be a lot more people cracks into the top of their licenses. I don't think you're going to see a you know a wholesale change out of of these ai and automated systems for people like you will in, in some other industries it absolutely is the case but here i think there's going to be a lot more uh augmentation um and so i think you're still going to see a lot of the roles that people have played i just think that they're going to be able to spend more time focusing on those you know unique activities that humans do well and a lot more offload into these ai systems um, yeah. that people do much much more effectively
1: yeah, interesting. This is a um, sort of another side of the same coin. But you said in an in, in interview not too long ago that the pandemic has laid bare the vulnerabilities of the health system, and um, and I wonder um, what you see as the vulnerabilities. Obviously, some of those uh, Converse stepped in, and you're part of the solution. And there's and there's many that still exist. It's just still like laid completely bare. And I, I wonder just given your vantage point, what you see as some of the top challenges, those vulnerabilities that are still there that are opportunities, um, you know, this is a call filled with uh, health tech entrepreneurs trying to meet the challenges in the same way that Conversa stepped up. So what do you see as uh, some of the vulnerabilities that that persist?
0: Yeah, I think, I think capacity is still the biggest one, and we're seeing it now. You're, you're seeing the resurgence. Everyone's been through this once. Many health systems. who talk to Northwell all the time. They said we're going to act as if we're 100 sure there's going to be resurgence, and we're going to test the previous peak of March. They they just planned on it, and and that's great. So you can react much more quickly. You're not going to run into the same problems. But the thing that you can't do is change the fundamental capacity that you have. So the big scary thing, right, is immediately you ran out of beds. You ran out of ventilators. So you can manufacture more ventilators. People figure it out. Let's, let's be, let's get better at that. Beds harder, right? You're not going to make more investment in physical plant. We're already spending too much money, but it's the people that's the problem. It's the shortage always hear about this. We're going to have a shortage of nurses and primary care physicians. What we haven't really even thought about until COVID was what if we have these spikes where all of a sudden we need this capacity of healthcare workers. So in order to deal with that, and, and that's where we came in on the virtual side was, how can you do a better job of keeping those people out who can be kept out? So how do you do self-care? How do you provide ongoing check-ins to make sure only those people that need to be in taxing those resources are in taxing those resources? And I think there's a lot of opportunity in that in that space.
1: Got it, Got it. Um, you sort of touched on this earlier, but also, also what I'm hearing from you is opportunity to uh, bundle, Uh, These concepts together where if you create habits around, let's say, a screener tool, you you start, you said there's going to be these layered opportunities. What else? Um, I'd be curious to know if you kind of play that out a little bit and even beyond Conversa, uh, where do you see that going? If you're able to layer on additional touch points for either a worker or really anyone touching the healthcare system through a chat, kind of, I don't know, how do you play that out?
0: Well, yeah, so in two ways, the example I was giving you was, you know, more in the health system serving their community, so employers and schools. And in that case, I mean, the big epidemic we see, it's already been an epidemic, but COVID has really um, amplified it, is mental health, right? Mental behavioral health, huge demand. We, We created a program called the COPE program for healthcare workers, where stress, anxiety, and PTSD specifically brought on by COVID, and it quickly assesses and gets you to resources that you might need. And we have way more demand than we anticipated for it. And, um, you know, obviously that extends to patients and just general community, we're all stressed. And so that, uh, and there's probably, I think there was more, you guys probably, probably from Startup Health, I think more money has gone into mental health and digital health than any other category this year. Um, and it's not a surprise, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And so we're, we're gonna get get into that in a bigger way. Um, and then in the system, though, like what are the touch points? You know, we've built this as a platform. So, we our, our philosophy is every single patient, every single person, ultimately should have this virtual health assistant. And in many respects, it's keeping you healthy. It's identifying earlier and earlier when to intervene and escalate you to that next level of care that you need. And so that rationalizes the limited capacity and resources. But in order to do it effectively we we've developed it as a platform where we plug into other systems and other systems can plug into our system. So we work with any device companies because lots of patients that are in these programs would benefit from having vitals being taken. That's another, you know, so we think about patient generated health data very broadly, right? Anything you can possibly capture that's around the wisdom of the patient, right? To help make a decision about what's the next right step for the patient. So we want to plug into scheduling systems and remote patient monitoring devices and crm systems and emr systems and on and on and on so i think there's a lot of opportunity to plug into these platforms you know health systems increasingly want to manage fewer and fewer things and so they're looking for the solutions are still required so they just don't want to go out and have to buy them and contract for them all separately and manage them separately but they need all those solutions so we're building we're conceiving of a platform that those solutions can plug into
1: Got it. So you're envisioning it as a platform, as a um, platform ecosystem with um, best in breed solutions plugging in to what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly how we built it. Yeah,
1: um, Awesome. Uh, you mentioned a bit ago about, you said, moving into these six or seven new service lines was a big risk. Uh, and I just think about the folks on the call and about the entrepreneurial mindset in March and April, and trying to decide: okay, um, do I hunker down? Do I hire? Do I um, do I go dark for a bit? Do I come out with a new product? Do I go big? Um, talk us through kind of your risk assessment uh, process, kind of how it works worked for you, um, but then also just given your experience, kind of uh, words of wisdom for other entrepreneurs.
0: I'm very analytical and our, one of our, so our values of, of the company are caring, evidence-based, um, passionate, proactive problem solvers. That's that's what we aspire to be. And, and and the company's just demonstrated this in spades. So the evidence base is really important. And it's really important in healthcare. So we try to make, you know, data-driven decisions as much as possible, but you also have to be really good at doing that when you have spare, you know, sparse or no data. And when COVID hit, there was so much uncertainty, and I was getting so much advice from. This, dispar- you know, like this investor advice was very strong. It was like literally, come in tomorrow, tell us that you cut a third of the company, and you know, don't under any circumstances go go developing new products, and let's wait and you know, wait and see. And so there, I didn't. Use, there was no data. There was no nothing. All I did was there's a quote by Babe Ruth who said. Yesterday's home runs won't win today's games. And I'm like, this is it, this is a different world. We need to do something different. We need to go big. Our health systems are dying. All they can think about is COVID, right? We call a health system and talk about what we're doing. I'm like, I can't even talk to you. I have to decide between whether or not I'm going to invest in ventilators or I'm paying a vendor. I mean, it was that bad. And so we said, look, we we're in healthcare. We have these values. We have this platform that we could repurpose. So we're lucky. Not everybody can do that. And we can develop COVID programs. So let's do let's do that. We have to do it. And then, of course, later I started to think, well, we can't just be in the COVID business and not know how long COVID's going to go on. So then we needed to balance. And when elective procedures opened back up, we ramped those programs up again. We put a lot of focus on our chronic care programs. We started to integrate COVID screens into our programs. And so we figured out later how to do it. And this idea of saying, you know, we'll give it for free because people can't afford COVID, but you have to be an existing customer. So you need to make the leap that you're going to, you know, join us, subscribe to our platform, and later on, you'll have the opportunity to use these other programs when you can, um, when you can accommodate that. Those were all after. You know, we 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 said, "Well, we have a bunch of smart people. We'll figure that out." So we did that after. But that decision in the moment there was literally we're just doing it. I just made. I didn't talk to anybody. We just did it.
1: Yeah, interesting. So it had to sort of start with the character of the leadership and the company, and the analytics kind of had to follow. Uh, i'd love to hear from the um, I say i didn't talk oh.
0: i mean i mean it wasn't just me i mean our co-founder right. marshall we just got together and said this is who we are that we just have to go do
1: this and yeah to- the character of the team and the, and the company like this is this is what we do how did you this kind of goes to a question posted by uh unity um how did the process of managing the board go um in the in the six months after that, you know, you you said you, you collected the data, obviously, but, but was it a challenge to kind of walk them through, um, kind of your vision for it?
0: They we have a great board and great um, uh, investors, and so even though there were dis- there were different opinions, they were completely supportive once the decision was. It's sort of like you know, disagree and commit, <laughs> and so they 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 supported it, and then. So obviously, we said we're gonna figure out the business model as we go. We came back and then we were very deliberate and thoughtful about this subscription model that we rolled out and um how we were gonna to bridge to you know when we started to look at what percentage of our business was COVID versus not, how we were managing that. So we we came back and we were very thoughtful about how we were gonna do it. And we we still we we actually laid out our plan. And even though it was very easy to say, Nobody's going to hold us to a plan. You know, lots of people just, you know, we, we said, we're not actually changing any of our guidance. We, it's going to be harder to make it, but we're still going to manage the company financially, quarterly. And we were very deliberate about it. So we've, and you know, we were lucky in this regard, but, you know, we beat our numbers every quarter, top line, bottom line throughout this process. Because we stayed very focused once we made that decision. We said, now this is what we're doing. So now it's incumbent on us to build a responsible business model around it. So we spent a lot of time doing that right
1: after. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Dr. Alexandra Greenhill from Care Team, she posted a, cu- a question about collaboration. Exa- Alexandra, if you want to come off mute. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Marie, I'm a huge fan of everything that you're doing
0: with Confersa. We clearly have the same values and I love uh, the evidence aspect. So that vision you described about a uh, ecosystem and sort of uh, making it easier for people to combine all the elements, I think that there may be an opportunity to figure out who and how within the army of uh, health transformers um, can collate because in real life I'm a physician and I help patients within a team of people what if we imagine the same experience digitally and say each one of us contributes something unique and different but together we can be more helpful to the system how can we collaborate yeah I love that Uh, you know So the answer is we'd we'd love to explore collaboration. And then, of course, it it comes down to the, you know, the specific opportunity. So, you know, sitting down and, and talking about what you have, and what we have. And, you know, it always it always comes down to, you know, painting the vision of what it could look like. And then, you know, quickly reducing it down to something that you can try very quickly and get feedback and iterate. And, you know, the and when I say we're building this platform, things to plug into. You know, we're still a startup and, you know, a lot of the startup community companies are startups. So it becomes that much more important to really focus down on something that you can test and prove quickly. Um, Because we just run out of our biggest problem is just bandwidth. There's only so many things you can try. And especially during COVID, what we found is there are so many interesting opportunities that we want to pursue but every day we wake up and now we've got, you know, our 30 customers and many of them are large health systems. And they literally demand, you know, 10 times the amount of time we could give to them. And that's our, our first priority. So I, I get exuberant about, you know, opportunities for partnership all the time. And I find myself being pulled back into, well, I don't have enough bandwidth to do that. So then it becomes, you know, which ones can you really, really articulate in a in a concrete way that you can say, I can see if we test it, here's the value we can get, and here's how we can test it with very low cost, low risk, very quickly.
1: Yeah, appreciate the question, Dr. Greenhill. You know, what's interesting about that answer, Murray, is that you've done the same thing in terms of plugging into massive health systems. So you're the startup, they're the bigger company. Uh, you had to prove to them in the same way you just said, in a quick way. And so I, I wonder... Do you have other sort of words of wisdom and strategies for kind of proving your worth to a potential, you know, health system client?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because we started with COVID. It sounds like everything just went quickly. It's still, it's still healthcare, it's still um, you know, we were able to move quickly in many cases because we already had our relationship, we had our MSA, we were through security, you know. So although I think that's, you know, it's changing a little bit, it's still a process to to get through that um so words of wisdom i mean it's it's you know you're always trying to get you know these health systems to to commit resources to pay they've got lots of different opportunities and you know it's always this challenge you know, you know you hear it from investors all the time you know when are you going to get out of pilots when are you getting get out of doing things for free and i actually i think you have to go through that because nothing happens in healthcare unless there's evidence, unless there's, out- at the end of the day, I tell the company all the time, we're selling outcomes. We can talk about all the cool stuff we do, but if it doesn't result in an outcome at some point, it's not going to work. And our job is to extend that runway as long as possible so we can prove the outcome. So, you know, I you know have the financial responsibility of making sure that we're hitting numbers and doing all that, but I try as much as possible to overinvest in a, a smaller number of customers rather than try to, Get a bunch of customers and get them to pay us, because I think that's optimizing for the short term. And in healthcare, that's it's very difficult to do. So it's it's hard to tell this kind of audience, because we're all dealing with, you know, pressure on resources. But you gotta you gotta overinvest. You can't expect that you're uh, you're going to get the return on your investment from the health system in the in the near term. It's you know we've been working with Northwell for four or five years, and we're just now getting to the point of you know I feel like we're getting the payoff on the investment we're making in Northwell. We're still investing in our big customers today.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, that's kind of a good segue to thinking more forward-looking, looking looking at 2021. This this to me, and maybe maybe you can agree or disagree, it feels like a very unique December coming through what we've been through and thinking about 2021. There's some hope on the horizon in terms of vaccines. We're going to get through this, uh, a chance to plan for a very different future than what we just went through. So kind of what are you, what are you excited about? What are you anticipating about 2021 for the company and really kind of the, the world that you're operating in?
0: Yeah. So on the one hand, we, whoops, still have you there. On the one yep. hand, we are, we're making investments in um, core elements of the platform that, that are critical delivering on the promise. So we, we just did a whole user, our user experience is very good, but we just did a whole user experience redesign based on all this input that we've gotten very rapidly from now millions of users. And so we're gonna roll that out uh, early this year. We're making big investments in integrating with other systems. So supporting many more connected devices and different EMRs. So integration, we're all we're a data company at the end of the day. So it's all about better user experience to collect data. We're asking patients, integrating with devices to collect more data, integrating with EMRs to collect more data. Um, And then we're we're very excited about investing in some analytic capabilities. So, you know, we virtualized the act of, you know, having someone sit next to you and ask you questions every day. That's really what we've done. And if you're doing well, we provide you guidance to keep going. And if you're not, we identify that early. Well, the next step for us is to say, you look like you're doing okay, but based on all this other data we have, we can actually predict that you're going to decline where the probability of an adverse outcome has just gone up and we can intervene earlier. So we're going to do, we're we're investing pretty heavily in predictive analytics as the next step for us as well. And, um, you know, we're also monitoring the, we're going into other spaces. So mental health was one, pediatrics is a big space for us this year. Um, Pregnancy, we're working on a big program right now that we're going to be rolling out broadly. So there's other, areas of healthcare international is going to be one this year that we're expanding. We just signed our first pharmaceutical company where they're managing patients directly. So we're doing pharmaceutical, we're doing payers. So we're kind of expanding on in market segments, geography, kind of different populations of conditions.
1: Where internationally do you see as, as big opportunities?
0: Yeah. Everything that we're doing now is being driven by uh, customer demand. So, so it could vary uh, depending on, on where they see the need. I mean, it would be, we're, we have support for multiple languages, but it would obviously be easier for us to go into Canada and go into the UK, go into Singapore, Australia, English speaking countries first. Um, but we'll have to see where that, uh, where the demand takes us. Cause we're getting a lot of demand for, uh, we're doing a lot in health equity, for example, and health equity includes language and culture. And so we're doing that here in the U S and that could help dictate where we go internationally first as well Um, you said something interesting about COVID though we you know we're monitoring so we're doing work right now we're preparing for programs around vaccine education awareness education and distribution Um, but looking closely at the vaccine you know we've got people sort of looking saying you know the vaccines are out how long do I need the COVID screeners and all that and so our position as a company right now is it's going to be you know, minimum six months before you have broad distribution. The latest surveys show 40% of people say they're not gonna get the vaccine. So that's gonna slow everything down in terms of when it's safe to go back to more normal. And if you actually look closely at the vaccine data, although it's really compelling, it's not about reducing transmission. There's no data about transmission. It's all about getting the virus and the severity of the symptoms of the virus. But if someone has the virus and gets the vaccine, there's no data that talks about what their communicability impact is. So we put all that together and we say, you actually need to mask distance and use these protocols like screeners, even with a vaccine for a minimum of another year, maybe even more so because the symptoms will be subtler. You need some tools to pick up the subtler symptoms to make sure someone's not contagious.
1: Very interesting. Well, it sounds like 2021 is going to be an active year. International expansion, new new markets. Um, I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, 2020 was, was more of a speed bump than a catalyst for massive expansion. For, for some, it was, uh, and for, for others, it wasn't. And I wonder, just kind of going through what you've been through and just your experience as a manager, Um, What would be some of your words of inspiration for an entrepreneur uh, who maybe experienced a different type of 2020, where this was a real punch in the gut and, um, you know, is still wrestling with some of those big risk questions?
0: Yeah, no, I totally empathize. It's tough. And, you know, I'm obviously emphasizing the the tailwinds that we got. We had a lot of headwinds, you know, initially. Um, elective procedures when they were shut down, many of our programs were elective procedure supportive, right? Colonoscopies and knee and hip replacements and, and any kind of pre-procedure was shut off. So we, we experienced that early on and it's rough. I mean, I think, you know, it's back to your question about people and culture. Everything starts there. I mean, we, we, we couldn't do anything without having the right people and making sure that we put you know, the, the trust in those people backed by the processes and everything else that you need to make sure, um, that everybody's, you know, walking down the same path. So I think the same thing, if you're, you're hitting the, you know, the, the punch to the gut, which I think is the vast majority of people out there, I think it's about survivability. I think you do need to figure out first and foremost, how do you extend that runway? How do you make, make it, be honest with your people and make it safe. So it doesn't mean guarantee that you're not going to let anybody go if that's not the truth, but get out there, do it in a humane way. Make sure that the people that are going to be with the company that are going to you know, be core to making it successful, you know, feel that it's a safe, if you got people in the company that are worried about what's happening because you just got punched in the gut, then you're not going to have people focusing on on solving problems and, and driving things forward and and being open to, you know, moving in different directions and different ideas. I mean, there's a lot, especially in the, you know, the founding vision, it's very difficult to, it gets crystallized, right? You're like, this is what we are. And then all of a sudden you have a dislocation in the market. You know, one thing we talked about a lot, it came up actually from an engineer on one of our early calls. It was like, when I joined the company, I really feel like we had product market fit and now it doesn't feel that way. And I was like, wow, first of all, you know, great point and totally right. How could we have possibly have, market fit we had a product that we worked for six years to fit a market and then the market just got completely dislocated so of course we didn't have it and we had to figure that out again
1: mm. thank you so much murray uh appreciate your insight your vulnerability and honesty about the the year that was and we're excited to to see what happens with conversa and what you build in 2021 so thank you so much for your time today Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.